welcome to the GTFO podcast. This is Holly Kaplan. For those of you who don't know, GTFO means get the F out. In this podcast, we will be discussing how to get the F out. How to get the F out of a bad situation, predicament, or something you want to flat change. I'll be interviewing individuals who have had to GTFO. Expect to hear stories of those who experience situations of despair, pain, and fear. And the only way to escape it was to GTFO. Through this podcast, I want to give you, the listeners, the power and courage to make life changes should you need to GTFO. Have you ever felt like you had PTSD from a traumatic event in your life? Perhaps you had a significant incident that scarred you for years, all the while not realizing that you actually had PTSD because of the experience. Honestly, I have. I have PTSD from a life experience that I will share with you at a later date. The other side of this is, what if it isn't you, but it's your partner or spouse that has PTSD? and you want to help them get through it and heal with the best of intentions, yet then you realize there is a cost for the cure. Today, we will be talking about this very aspect. But before we do that, let me give you some statistics to show how prevalent PTSD really is. According to the National Center for PTSD, about six of every 10 men and five of every 10 women experience at least one trauma in their lives. Women are more likely to experience sexual assault and child sexual abuse. Men are more likely to experience accidents, physical assault, combat, disaster, or to witness death or injury. PTSD can happen to anyone. My guest today is Rainy Romero. She has firsthand experience of having a partner for years with PTSD. She was going to walk us through her story, tell how she was able to recognize it, handle it, and heal. But before we do so, here is more about Rainy. Rainy Romero is a native of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. She's the host and producer of morning lifestyle show, Living Local Carolina, which runs on the CBS affiliate and her market, WBTW News 13, where she has also worked in various marketing and community roles since 2012. Rainy and her husband, Roe, are also avid dancers and even met through dance, so it's fitting that they now own a dance studio and DJ business in Myrtle Beach. The two have three daughters, eight-year-old Camilla, two-year-old Meadow, and another baby girl due in June. Well, I'm thrilled that you're on today, and as I always do, I would love for us to talk about how we met. How do we know each other? So you and I have a fun story, and it was such a blessing that our paths crossed. Um, you know, I, of course, have my my lifestyle show that runs in the mornings, and I was looking for some fun content that would benefit viewers in our area. And I believe that you had a marketing person who reached out via email to me and was saying, hey, would you be interested in this? This is Holly. You know, she's a, a lifestyle coach, a confidence coach, and Right now, she's really empowering women who are working from home and, and getting their lives kind of reinvented through the pandemic. And I thought, oh my gosh, what a great, what a great story for everybody in the whole nation, <laughs> let alone just people in my area. So, um, you know, we Aww, connected, we I did the story that. and it was amazing. Yeah. And you're amazing. And so, uh, you know, a quick friendship oh, kind nice. of developed through that experience. We did. We had fun. I was like, I get her. Like we were on the Zoom call <laughs> doing our, our recording and I was like, I get her. So I was like, oh my God, we have to talk on the podcast. So I'm thrilled that you're yes. here. Yes. 
And now here we are. So I'm excited to chat today. I know. It's perfect. Well, (laughs) I know you have a lot to say, but before we get into the topic of PTSD, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah. So, you know, as you kind of said in my bio, I have this lifestyle show. I've been with the news station for almost 10 years in a variety of different roles. Um, And so I am remarried. I was, you know, married once before, um, right out of college and love, love, loved that man. And, you know, over time, things had kind of changed. He was in the military. And so um, that is kind of where our PTSD story happens. And now I am with my husband who we've been together almost eight years now, and he is amazing and wonderful. And the relationship is great. And now we have our three daughters, almost three, two and a half, one on the way. And, and yeah, I've never really discussed my first marriage really. I mean, honestly, with anybody other than my current husband, I mean, even my my friends and family, I kind of kept it very private. I'm a private person. Uh, So I love that we are kind of bringing light to, you know, this side of PTSD as far as the person Mm -hmm. who is kind of around supporting and being, being with the person with PTSD. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that you're going to share your story because like we said in our pre-interview, I think this is going to be helpful for a lot of other people who are going through it and need help recognizing it and knowing what to do with it. So I'm grateful that you're you're here. All right. Well, you've already slightly introduced us to your ex-husband. Will you tell us how you met him? Yeah. So we met, we were both, you know, really into uh, junior ROTC, which is kind of the military program for high school. And so we both kind of had goals to join the military after high school And we met through that program. We went to different schools, but we met through that program through a competition and um, didn't date right away. You know, we were both with other people, um, but he did end up going into the Marine Corps after high school. And I was a few years younger, so I was still in high school, but he was guarding um, Camp David up in Washington, D.C., which is kind of, you know, where the White House is and everything. That's the camp that's there. Right. Uh, So that was a great honor for him. But while he was up there, you know, we had lost touch and he was looking for people kind of in um, his hometown to connect with. Uh, you know, as you know, you know, in, when you're in the military, it can get very lonely as far as feeling like you are kind of on an island without connecting with those, you know, back in civilization. So he had, he was looking for some, some people to connect with back home, ended up finding my older sister um, who basically connected the two of us back together. And at that point, we were both single and we began talking. Everything was long distance, which was kind of nice because we got to the root of our personalities. And, you know, when he came home to visit one time, you know, it just kind of went off from there. We started dating and we were together for for 12 years total. Wow. That's a long time. That's a long time. That's a significant part of your life with somebody. It is. And, you know, that was through his time in the military. It was through my time in college. And then, you know, after college, of course, we ended up getting married. And so, yeah, it was kind of during a lot of, you know, growing up in pivotal moments right. in your life, for sure. Right. You kind of grew up together. We you did. Know? And that's a, that's a special thing. And 
I, I, I think it's nice that you were able to know each other so well. What were some of the key things that attracted you to him when you were younger and, and first dating? You know, when you're younger, what you're looking for changes um, versus when you get a little older and you start realizing that you need someone that lines up with your life goals. But, you know, when I was younger, of yep. course, I yep. was more about the physical appearance. You know, I, if, you know, I thought he was cute. And of course, we had the the common interest of, you know, the military. And so that was cool for me that sure. he knew the ROTC side of things. And, um, and I loved that he was in the military and I was, that was something that I was still wanting to go and do after college. Uh, so we connected on that level. And then, you know, our families um, began to be intertwined through getting, you know, us getting to know each other and doing things with each other's families. So I would say initially what attracted to me was kind of the surface value of being physically attracted, but also the, the military aspect as well as he was very, um, you know, I live in South Carolina, so he was very um, chivalrous and gentlemanly and, uh, you know, didn't care who knew, you know, his love for me. And all of that was was really romantic to me as as I was younger, you know. Right, right. You feel validated. You know, you feel special. But I think the fact that you had so much in common helps too, you know, with the military and and how, you know, kind of how you're groomed to grow up. I think that makes a difference too. Exactly. We bonded over that. Yeah. It's easy to bond over that because you get each other, you know, it it helps, I think. Um, So then you guys get married. When did things, Rainy, start to change? What changed for you in the marriage where you're like, something's off a little bit here? Well, you know, I wish it happened overnight where I could say, oh, this happened this night and Mm -hmm. that was when it changed. But really, um, it was a very slow progression. I mean, he he always had kind of a uh, masculine, not that this is part of PTSD, but just so you understand his personality, he always had kind of a a very masculine um, approach to things where he was the um, intense one who was the protector of everybody and he was the patriot. And he, so he had this kind of ex- extreme personality um, as far as being a man and what he felt like that meant his roles were. So that was from the beginning. So that was nothing that changed. What changed over time, really through different deployments and also through mm-hmm. coming out of the military, um, was things started to just, you know, slowly change over time as far as the way he reacted to situations and as far as, you know, him being on edge, you know, all the time. And that kind of kept increasing, um, him not knowing how to handle, uh, when he would get angry and that kind of, you know, would continue to increase. So it was kind of different situations that would come up over time that he would increasingly, um, not know how to handle or would kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, freak out. And, um, just, it would be small things and, and, um, big things. And, you know, it was stuff that he never did when we first got together. I mean, I would, I would say I didn't even notice him doing anything out of the ordinary until after we were married, maybe a year or two after we were married. But, you know, Mm -hmm. I noticed changes in him every time he would come home from a deployment. And I, you know, understood those things based on what he went through. And so uh, I was 
understanding and trying to help him, um, you know, live with those, those memories and things just slowly, he slowly lost his way. I think when he got out of the military and then had these memories, he just slowly got more and more depressed about his life coming out of the military because a lot of that stuff, you know, you train and train, you know, with, with weaponry and with leading, you know, squads and, and, and different military uh, personnel. And then you get out of the military and that doesn't really translate over to civilian life. Uh, so you true, are left with true. these skills that you're not sure what to do with. And that can create a lot of um, anxiety and depression for the military. And so they get out and they feel, uh, you know, worthless. They don't feel like anybody cares about all that they've sacrificed by fighting for this country. And that on top of, you know, memories of almost losing your life, of watching friends that you love die, of watching just horrible things happen. Um, you know, you slowly just become more paranoid. He was having nightmares. Um, and, and, you know, at some point, through through arguments and through outbreaks or outbursts that would happen, you know, he I think was the one who said, you know, I've got I've got issues from this. I've got PTSD from this. And um and so yeah, so it was a slow progression. You just answered two questions actually, but I want to back up some. When you started to see these behaviors that were concerning, how did that make you feel personally? How did you handle that, Rainey? You know, it was a weird balance of um, not really knowing what to do in in some instance, and then also just trying to be there as a a support system for him. Because again, you know, he wasn't like that beforehand. And so I wanted to kind of love him through it and um, be understanding to what he went through. So for me, um, you know, it was kind of... um, being being sympathetic to him and 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 wanting him to discuss or talk about some of the things that were weighing on him and as far as you know trying to get jobs and trying to get stuff like that I would try to step in and help him with those and make connections with people and see if I could get him um, doing the things that he found joy in but as far as the outbursts and stuff like that I mean there's not a whole lot you can do other than try to seek professional help, but they have to be willing to do that, of course. Girl, you said it. You said it. Our stories, although mine didn't have to do with the military, have some overlap here. So selfishly, I wanted to ask you that for, you know, (laughs) for my own purposes, because I went through something similar, again, like I won't get into today, but, you know, you try to love them through it, you know, and be support, but then you, you get to a point where you realize you need help from the outside. So yeah, um, I want to address something else you said a couple of seconds ago. You said that he came to you and said, I think I've got PTSD. So he was able to verbalize that to you is what it sounds like. He was, I mean, you know, not, we didn't use that, the term right off, right off the rip. Yeah. Um, But you know, he would always have remorse after he lashed out. Um, and wasn't able to control his emotions with being angry. And so, um, and when we talk about him, him lashing out and getting angry, um, I, you know, I want to clarify that this is not you know, physical abuse or anything like that, but he would um, just go off the rails as far as 
you know, yelling and cussing and throwing things, you know, hitting things. Nothing was ever directed towards me physically other than the yelling uh, verbally. But um, I I do want to make that distinction so people know that there wasn't a uh, domestic violence type of thing here. But um, but yeah, after he would have these outbursts, he would, you know, feel bad and apologize and we would talk about it. And that's when it would kind of come up, you know, it didn't come up in the beginning. It was just kind of like, oh, I'm struggling with these emotions or I'm, I, I you know, I, I know I overreacted and, you know, all these things. But then as time went on and it happened over and over, um, then that's when it started coming up where, where he was saying, I went through all this stuff. It's impacted me. You know, I, I don't know what to do with this stuff. And yeah, I, you know, I've got post-traumatic stress about this. So yeah, it came up later. Right. It was a pattern. It had, it sounds like it had become a pattern for him. Yes. And that's hard to live with. Cause you're like, when's the next one? When is the next one? Yes. Yes. You're always on edge because you don't know what is going to set them off. And once they start, uh, you know, you're trying to deescalate the situation because you can yeah. see that it's gonna, it's, it's just gonna grow and, and intensify. And you're trying to get out of the situation, either, mm-hmm. you know, not be in public or, you know, go into a, a separate room or whatever. But um, yeah, yeah, you definitely have anxiety over when it's going to happen and how bad it's going to get. You do. You worry about it. And then your damage control, you you know, to your point, because it could be private, it could be in public. So right. you don't know where it's going to show up. When you were going right. through all this, were you sharing this with your friends and family? Like you said earlier, you're a pretty private person. Did you keep this to yourself or were you telling your your parents or your best friends like, hey, I think something's off? No, I, I kept it completely to myself. Um, I am a very private person. And I also feel like when you are married, um, that a lot of those are private issues. And when you let others know of something like that, um, you know, they start to form their own opinions about people. And I didn't want anyone to think anything negatively about my husband or about, uh, you know, if we were having issues in our marriage. I mean, all of that is something that would have been embarrassing to me and something that I felt like we could work on privately without the world knowing. So no, I kept it to, to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. You wanted to respect your privacy. I do. I do appreciate that. Yes. I get that. I get that. Well, for our listeners, since you have been through this, what are some of the key behaviors that you saw that you think other people should be aware of? Yeah. You know, obviously PTSD, depending on, you know, the circumstance that gave you PTSD or, you know, your, your age, your life. I mean, there's lots of different uh, things that affect people differently, but I do think that um, some commonalities with the majority of PTSD is things like the nightmares, like I had mentioned earlier, you know, like having issues mm-hmm. with sleeping or having nightmares when you are sleeping, um, you know, a lot of times when, when we do sleep, that's when some of our subconscious kind of comes out and takes over. So, so true. I do think that that, yeah, I do think that, that that plays a big role in a lot of PTSD cases. 
as well as, you know, the paranoia that, that we were also discussing, you know, I mean, for my particular case, there was a lot of paranoia as far as um, what I was doing um, away from him. There was a lot of paranoia mm-hmm. as far as if we were in a crowded place or if there was a loud noise. Um, a lot of things would kind of set him off, um, like fireworks or, you know, um, if we went to out to eat and it was crowded. And so he would kind of get anxious in situations like that. So maybe it's different, again, depending on your situation. But paranoia can definitely play a role in that as well. Right. Um, and I just think also a change in, in behavior. If someone was not um, on edge all the time prior and they had a great social life and they were keeping a, you know, a long, steady job and all of a sudden they're unable to cope with their emotions and and things change socially with them, that's always a red flag. Right. I think that's a really good point because you might reflect back to previous years and think he handled this differently back then. Why is it happening like this now? I think that's a good assessment. Right. Right. Yeah. You see that change in them. Well, I'm glad that you shared that because I think people need to be aware of those things if they're in the same situation. Okay. Ms. Rainey, here comes the big question. At what point, (laughs) after going through all this, at what point did you realize that you probably had to leave? Oh, it was so tricky and hard. Um, Again, it was not a one night thing. This was something that over time, once I felt like I had tried all the different avenues um, Mm -hmm. and ways to help and that even though he showed remorse in a lot of things, he really never took that step to go seek professional help. I mean, even if he did, he might meet once or twice and then drop off. Um, and so once we got to a point where I knew I wasn't happy, the relationship was not healthy and it was not consistent. And, um, you know, no matter what I did or tried, and things weren't changing and it was out of my control. And so over time, I would say over a a span of a year or a year and a half, I slowly started deciding this is not what I want. This is not how I want to live my life. I don't feel Mm -hmm. comfortable bringing children into this situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at that point, I slowly started kind of shifting my viewpoint over from working it out and making it work and staying together and supporting him into this isn't going to work and nothing is changing. And, um, this is not what's going to benefit my life in the long run. And I, I also felt like I was a trigger for him the way that I responded to, um, his outbursts. Um, I feel like he, he felt like that was, yeah, I think that he felt like, um, I was almost talking down to him because I didn't have the same um, illness. And so yeah, I yeah. think uh, I ended up making matters worse unintentionally by being a trigger um, for him. And so that was an issue as well. So over time, yeah, we both were just unhappy um, and we had tried how what I felt was was everything I could do. 
And also I gave it enough time to also see if it was going to change. And when it didn't, it was time to go. What I love about what you're saying though, Rainey, is that noticing these issues gave you the opportunity to heal just in different places, right? Yeah. Yeah. You were able to heal and he, which we'll get into, was able to heal just in different places. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of you for being brave to say, you know what, this is something that needs to go in a different direction. You know? Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's not an easy call. No. Um, You know, it, it, there was never something where we didn't love each other. We both still loved each other. And, you know, our families were intertwined at that point. Our lives were intertwined. Um, You know, when you think about forever with your spouse and all of a sudden you are realizing that maybe forever is not forever. um, It's, it's tough and it's tough to make that break. And it's tough to know that you're doing the right thing, which is why I say I waited, you know, to see if it would change. I waited a while and I tried different things and that gave me kind of the permission to end things because I had, had weighed out all the different angles, all the different options. And, um, you know, it was time. So I, I would say, um, and I'm, I'm calculated like that in most things in life. I, I try not to make any rash decisions based on one bad argument we had or one instance or anything like that. Um, so that gave me the, the permission to myself to leave and to, you know, not try and get back together. Right. Right. It's like you said, it's a process. It takes time. You didn't make the decision in one night. You know, it was, right. it was a marriage, you know, no one wants to say, Hey, I'm out. Like it's, it takes some time to get there mentally and emotionally to realize what's sure. best for both of you in that situation. Yeah. All right, Randy, I've got another deep question. <laughs> I sure. just thought of it. I'll I take thought, it. I'll take okay. it. Okay. <laughs> Why do you think you had to go through this in life? Oh, wow. That is a deep one. It's heavy. I know. Wow. I know. (laughs) You know, I am in such a good place. I, I feel like there's a million reasons why, because, you know, whether it's professionally, it wouldn't have led me to where I am or whether it's my children or whether it's, you know, a variety of things. But I think the main thing is, uh, it really showed me a, how to handle certain situations with patience and with understanding, but also what I want in life. So, you know, being in that relationship, you know, now with my my current husband, you know, I, I kind of am aware of certain things that I wouldn't have been, have been aware of before. So I, I realized this time that I wanted something that was consistent. And, and I, I use that word frequently because consistency is key. You cannot be in a roller coaster relationship where sometimes it's really amazing and it's wonderful, but then the other half of the time it's, it's horrific. That is not going to work. It has to be a consistently healthy relationship. Um, and we discuss everything. So our right. communication is wonderful. We talk about all of our feelings. Nothing is left um, internally. And it's such a blessing. And it's something that I'm so grateful for a million times over now that I have been on the other side of that. And um, for raising children and stuff as well. I mean, I couldn't ask for 
you know, a better situation or spouse. And even then in life as well, when I'm going through situations, um, I'm, I'm just, I feel like I'm more equipped to respond to them um, as well. So, you know, I think a lot of things have kind of been at play based on that. And again, it was very scary. My parents did not approve. You know, I came from um, a background, a very conservative background that, you know, the older generation, they stuck it out through marriages. They didn't divorce. They didn't do those things. And so that was a very scary thing for me as well, because I didn't want to lose the respect of my parents. But at the same time, you have to make decisions for yourself, for what you know is going to be the best for you in your life and make you happy and achieve your goals and be where you want to be. And so that was a huge thing that I also learned. You have to be your own advocate through life and know what you want and be calculated in that um, so that you know what what your decision is for life and that that's the best thing for you. Well, I think that's great. And you got good lessons out of that and you have a lot of good information. Consistency is key, girl. I mean, yes, it is. Being in a consistently healthy and safe relationship is the right way to do it. And I think people can get lost in different relationships where not and where it's yes. not and they lose sight. Well, of that themselves. was one of the most complicated things for me was because when it was good, it was great. And I didn't want to give up the good because of the bad. But when the bad starts outweighing the good, that's when you know this is not where you need to be. Right. I agree. You have that in check. You have that in check. And I love how you also were able to grow and develop from it. And now you're able to handle certain situations even better than before. So I think that's great coming out of a tough situation. So I admire that. Um, Thank you. When, when Rady and I talked, guys, last week, we were talking about PTSD in general. And clearly her first husband was in the military, but it happens to plenty of people. It's not just confined to the military. Um, like Rainey, like you said last week, it's first responders who experience it also. Yep. Yeah. So, so me and my ex, you know, we still have a very civil relationship. And so once in a blue moon, our paths will cross and it's not anything weird or awkward because of the respect that we still have for one another. Um, And that was something that he pointed out to me because he did spend some time in law enforcement after the military. And he said, you know, a lot of people forget about first responders and and police officers um, because, you know, they are seeing stuff, horrible, horrible things on a daily basis. And he said, you know, I see way more or I saw way more as a law enforcement officer than I did deployed overseas. And it's even more... um, you know, uh, searing in your brain because you're seeing children and women and people who look like you versus, you know, you detach a little bit when you're overseas and it's people that um, you have kind of made in your mind to be the bad person and, and they don't look like you and they don't speak the same language. And so you kind of create a dissociation with that. But when you're home, it's a whole different kind of, of, of horror and scarring that you have to deal with. Right. Well, I'm glad that he was able to share that with you because that's important. It just, it covers a larger range of people, including first responders, including emotional abuse, including all of it. So I'm glad that, you know, you, you brought that to light. That was important to me today. 
Um, yes. Rainy, what advice do you have for others who may be experiencing a partner that has PTSD? So, of course, you know, if this is something that is a physical matter and you are experiencing physical abuse, that is something that you should never stick around for. You should leave right away. Um, so if that is a factor, that is not a complicated um, answer that you need to, to leave. Um, but if this is something where you have a spouse or a friend or parent or whoever experiencing PTSD, um, you know, specifically if this is a relationship with a spouse, you have to weigh out um, when enough is enough. So you mm -hmm. need to try and and do what you can and see from my, you know, ex, he was not really willing to put in the work and the time to, to seek professional help and to see what he could do to work on himself. Again, I said in the beginning of this that he was a very um, prideful and masculine person. So to him, that was kind of a sign of weakness going to to um, to a therapist or to whoever to talk about it. Um, and so he did not commit to that. And that was kind of a sign for me as well that, you know, if he wasn't willing to work on himself, what was I going to going to do on my own? You know what I mean? So you can't force somebody to want to change. They have to want to change and they have to want to fight to keep you in their life as well. Um, so that is a big part of it, making sure that it's something that they um, are willing to to help themselves with. And also giving it time. Yeah. So again, going back to, you know, um, not making any rash decisions, make sure that this is something that you have tried and worked, worked on. And then if, if it doesn't work, then you have that permission to leave. So, you know, it's not many times with relationships, whether it's PTSD related or not, we go back and forth a million times because we feel like we've we made a mistake. And once we yeah. leave, we only remember the good moments. And so those good moments bring us back. And so it's this whole tug of war thing. You don't want to do that um, with this or with any relationship. You need to give yourself time to process things, time to work things out, and time to see if they want to change. Um, and then and then make a, a, a conscious decision that you have thought through so that when you leave, if you leave, that is something that will keep you away and you'll know that you made the right decision. That's great advice, Rainey. That's all great advice and healthy and happy. And I'm glad that you shared that because I just learned something from you too. So that's excellent. I got something out of did that Did you? Also. <laughs> yes, I did. Um, okay. In brighter <laughs> news, how is your ex-husband now? Because you guys get along great now. We do. I mean, you know, I wouldn't say that we are besties or anything like that. You know, there are things about him that still, you know, irk the crap out of me. And when I talk to him, I'm like, oh gosh, I'm so thankful for my current husband. So of course, you know, I'm not going to say it's all rainbows, but we do occasionally speak, you know, maybe once every three or four months just to, um, you know, catch up on each other. You know, he has multiple children and is remarried as well. So we're, we're both kind of in the same boat as far as that goes. And, you know, he's heavily involved in some church programs, and he also is is involved in veteran services and helping others with PTSD um, kind of overcome their own their own circumstances in life. And so that's been amazing for him. So yeah, I mean, I think he's doing well. 
I do think that he, it's still a daily struggle for him. It's not something you just get over. So I can still pick up when I talk to him that he still struggles with it, but I think he's in a much better place um, now than he was before. I can tell he's a lot happier and he's not that depressed person that he was when he was with me. Good. So there was healing on the other side for both of you. That's the beauty. Yeah, I think so. Yep. Yeah. There's hope. Yes. And there was that, there was the rough patch. Once we did separate, there was a, a, a tough time there, you know? So it's not to say that it, you separate and all of a sudden you're both happier and it's fine. No. We still went through the mourning process, the separation process. None of that is easy. Luckily we didn't have children involved. So that helped a lot. Um, but you know, we are in that place now after things have settled, after we found other people and have, you know, expanded on life, but I don't want to give the false impression that you're not going to have to struggle in the middle ground. Cause that part's going to be hard, but you will get past that and you'll be so happy you did um, because there are better things awaiting you. Again, really good advice, really good thoughts. Cause you're right. There's life on the other side and it does take some time. Yeah. It does. And I'm glad that you acknowledge that it's important for our listeners to know. Mm-hmm. So Rainy, how can our listeners stay connected to you and potentially learn more about you? Yeah, so I I love I love this this aspect of it as far as, you know, if there's something that I can do to help or you want to share your story with me, I think that's amazing. Uh so, you know, you can reach me by email. My email is rromero at wbtw.com. And then you can also reach out to me on Facebook, Rainy Romero. Um, I would love to hear from you or hear your stories or even hear your feedback from this uh, podcast. Oh, that's nice. I would love that. I'd love to know what our listeners think about what you've said today, because I know a lot of people needed to hear it, Rainy. So I hope Alrighty. so. Again, you know, I mean, I've been private with this whole thing. So this is actually one of my first times talking about it too. So it's been um, therapeutic in a way for me as well. So thanks for having me on today, Holly. Excellent. I love that. I love that. I want to be here for that. So I'm thrilled. So, (laughs) um, alrighty. Well, thank you, Rainy, for being here. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And, um, all right, that is a wrap GTFO listeners. Thank you for listening today and I'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you for joining me today on the GTFO podcast. This is Holly Kaplan. To connect with me for confidence coaching or speaking engagements, please connect with me at hollykaplan.com or find me on Instagram at GTFO underscore podcast. Thanks.